Hey there, it's Carolyn. Before we start today's podcast, I wanted to tell you about a brand new challenge that we have starting over in the Homestead Kitchen membership really soon. This one is all about making your very own herbal oils and culinary oils and cosmetic oils and turning them into salves and balms for your herbal medicine cabinet. If you're interested in joining me for the Herbal Oils and Salves Challenge, then go to homesteadingfamily.com forward slash podcast dash herbal oils. Again, that's homesteadingfamily.com forward slash podcast dash herbal oils. Hey, you guys, this is Josh with Homesteading Family, and welcome to this week's episode of the Pantry Chat Food for Thought. Carolyn is not with us today, but I am really excited to have Rick Stone here. Uh, Rick considers himself a gardening nerd. He loves being in the dirt and watching things grow. He's a master gardener, but says much of his gardening knowledge came from and, and still comes from learning from the mistakes he's made. Over the last 25 years, he's learned a thing or two and has become passionate about teaching people to start their own vegetable gardens that will open the door to a world of organically grown fresh fruits and vegetables. And you all know that that's one of the things we're all about here at Homesteading Family. Now, Rick's the principal author and creator of Our Stony Acres, along with his wife, AJ, and their goal is to help you become a better gardener. So I'm really excited to have Rick here today. We're going to be talking about ways to extend the growing season in cool weather areas, hopefully help help you get your garden going earlier this year. Hey, Rick, it is uh, really cool to have you here. How you doing? Good. Good to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely. This is just such an important topic. You know, uh, when we first moved up here to North Idaho and some of the folks we were getting to know heard we were we were growing out of outside of the main growing season, like June to maybe early October. They thought we were pretty weird. Um, and, and just most people, you know, put seeds in the ground in June and got going. But there is a lot more we can do with our growing season. You're in a cold season, right? In outside of Salt Lake City. Utah yeah. Yeah. There. Yeah. Yeah. And um, we are not just confined to warm weather. And this is actually one of my favorite topics. I, I love season extension, mainly because I love the, the fact that I'm getting and, and growing vegetables at times of the year that people just don't normally even think about it. I mean, right now in my garden, I've got a, a cold frame full of lettuce and other greens that are coming along that we'll start harvesting here in the next week or so. These are ones that we overwintered for this time. Uh, we're just finishing up our carrots uh, we've got a big cold frame full of carrots that we'll probably finish harvesting up in the next couple of weeks. And then we kind of shift into spring planting extra early. And I know it sounds like, you know, March seems like a, a really early time to be planting. But uh, if you, you throw in a few of these simple ideas, uh, it's pretty easy to actually really extend your growing season. Yeah, that is really cool. You're harvesting fresh vegetables in Utah uh, in early March. What's your elevation there? So we're at about 4,600 feet here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're not super high, but we're, we're what we're considered zone 6B. We live closer to the river. And so we get our, our frosts a little bit earlier in the fall and later in the spring because we're down kind of in the valley. But, uh, you know, it's a, it's a decent cold. We're obviously not as cold as a lot of people, but, uh, you know, we have a, a decently uh, hard winter. Yeah, well, that's a real encouragement. If you can be harvesting some vegetables in early March in Utah, 4,600 feet, then a lot of the folks out there can do that, you know, as well. And I think the other thing people should know about you is you are also in a, I think, suburban environment, right? Yeah, yeah. So we, we live south of Salt Lake City and, it, you know, just in one of the, the suburbs of Salt Lake City, essentially on a quarter acre lot. So yeah, you guys, that's just, and that's one of the things we try to share with people is you don't have to move to the country. I mean, a lot of us want to, and a lot of people are, and that's good, but there's so much you can do right where you're at, you know, at home there with the, with the, a few skills. For sure. And so we're going to, we're going to dive into that a little bit today, but um, what, what, what's some of your favorite crops to grow? Uh, in the wintertime, out of season. Yeah. 
Um, I I really like, you know, obviously summertime tomatoes, potatoes are actually one of my favorite part of that is because I grew up working for a potato farmer and and that just kind of got ingrained in my my soul, I guess. But um, this time of year, though, uh, our favorites are um, kale. And I know most Mm. people don't like kale, but if you haven't had kale in the middle of the winter, it's a totally different beast. Um, it, it, it changes the cold weather, changes the taste a lot. Uh, we grow a lot of spinach this time of year because it's very hardy. Uh, carrots, uh, winter carrots are just amazing. We call them candy carrots. My, my, all my family and in-laws come to our house to try the carrots just because they're so much sweeter this time of year. That's one nice thing about off-season is everything tastes better because the cold usually causes stress in the plant that converts starches into sugars. And so yeah. you usually get a lot sweeter vegetables this time of year. So this time of year, spinach, carrots, kale, Swiss chard, um, those those are the lettuce. We're, we're not quite into the lettuce season yet. Lettuce isn't as hardy as some of the others, but uh, those are the things this time of year that we're, we really enjoy growing. And then coming up, really soon we'll be, you know, planting our brassicas and, and things like that as well. Right. Nice. Did the carrots, did you plant those in the fall and then you're wintering? Yeah. And that's a big part of the whole season extension is the timing and getting the timing right. If I were to plant them in January, they wouldn't do anything until March, you know? So those carrots were planted the first of August in our area. It's usually about eight weeks before your first frost is when you start doing that planting. So we planted those about August 5th and uh, then they, you know, they're, we usually start harvesting them about mid-October, 1st of November, right around there. And and then we'll harvest through the winter. Nice. Yeah, that is nice to have a supply of fresh vegetables. And I know a lot of people do that. We struggle with that because the amount of snow that we get. I don't know how much snow you get there or what you see people do, but you know, we will have anywhere from a foot to two and a half foot of snow on the ground all winter. And so for us, I've, I haven't figured out a way yet to, you know, uh, grow those carrots and be able to harvest them reasonably besides yeah. the ground freezes about two foot deep as well. So one of the things that will help is some cold frames. So we grow all of our winter stuff, either in a cold frame or a hoop house for you guys you're probably a little bit too cold for a hoop house to help you through the winter Mm -hmm. at least, but a cold frame, if you can get it in a good position where it's protected, maybe up against the South side of a building or something like that, Mm -hmm. where it, you know, where you can keep the wind off and hopefully keep the snow down a little bit. um, Those cold frames will actually stay, uh, you know, if you can, and depending on, you know, if you have a cold snap, like, you know, we talked about, sometimes you'll have some temperatures that drop down below freezing or b- below zero. Right. Um, it, at those times, you actually want to leave the snow on the cold. Yeah. That will act as an insulator. But when things start to warm up, you go out, clear that snow off, and then the ground will very quickly thaw inside the cold frame because your temperatures in the cold frame are going to be 30, 35 degrees warmer than it is outside. So your ground will thaw and it makes it really easy to harvest things like carrots and turnips and stuff like that. Nice. Yeah. You know, that's real confirming of something we're working on. Uh, We started playing with it last summer, but we've created some terraces right in front of our house and we had a slope that was just useless, but it was South and Southwest facing. And, you know, at the first years on the property, we watched the snow melt first on this slope. It just had the right angle toward the sun and the right orientation as far as west, southwest. And so we actually terraced those spaces and we've been using them for kitchen garden, things closer to the house. But that's kind of the next iteration is thinking about cold frames on there um, to accomplish that. So that's, that's just, that's cool to hear you say that. Yeah. And I would definitely for, for your elevation, you know, I, I would say you want to go with cold frames, not hoop houses. Hoop houses are great. They offer a lot of protection and they can really help to extend your season. In the dead of winter, they're just a little bit too unprotective. So yeah, for the way to go. They wouldn't hold up to the snow. And, and our terraces, we've got about five foot of width. So that's where cold frames done right, yeah. kind of tucked into the slope part, you know, yep. not the flat part, leaves us a walkway. So I'm trying to figure out now, like, how am I going to engineer these? Because we could actually have a lot of them. They're not super big, but 
we could do a lot of them on the terraces. So that's kind of the project right now. It's just in my mind. And what are we going to build them out of? How are we going to engineer them? But um, that's that's good to know because that's definitely where we're headed to try to extend season a bit. So let's um, let's dive in here to ways to extend the growing season in cool weather areas. And, you know, kind of we're just already there talking it through here. Is it possible to grow some type of crop year round in an area like yours and mine? Yes, for sure. So the colder you get, obviously, the harder it gets. People that live in like zones three and zones four, they're very they're, it's really pretty limited what you can grow in the wintertime. Um, you're down to the most hardy crops, which are going to be spinach, kale, Swiss chard, carrots, and um, mosh, which is a, a, a green, a leafy green. Um, it's also sometimes called, yeah, mosh, or sometimes it's called corn salad. Um, okay. Yeah. Those, those are the hardiest of the plants, and, and anybody should be able to get some harvest from those uh, year-round. And, and it'll only, you know, obviously you're going to have access issues with snow and things like that. But um, you should be able to get those to make it through the winter, even in those coldest areas. Once you move into the zones five, six, seven, then you're, it really broadens out. There's a lot more greens that you can grow, a few more root crops that you can grow as well uh, all year long. So the most important thing is to get them planted at the right time because they don't do a lot of growing during the wintertime. Right. You have to have them ready to harvest, essentially before that really cold weather settles in otherwise they're just going to sit over the winter and and then start growing again in the spring so uh as long as you you know get your timing right and uh choose the right crops you know if you if you live in zone three and you want to grow broccoli in the winter time it's not going to happen you know right. it's just not hardy enough but kale yes or mosh or carrots you know those things will do really well so you know it, Broad range, there's actually about 30 crops that will grow during the wintertime, um, depending on where you live. You yeah. know, it, it just kind of ranges from where you live. So if you're working in a cold frame, and we're going we're gonna to talk here in a method about different methods, but if you're working in a cold frame, so you got to start those seeds, you know, six, eight weeks, depending on the plant to get it to maturity or real close to it. You don't necessarily have to go by last frost, though, because the cold frame is going to extend your season. No, the, the you can still push it back a little. Would that be right? The the last frost date, the choosing to plant six to eight weeks before your last frost date gets you to the maturity at the right time, even with the cold frames. The prop the problem is not the cold; it's the light. So once mm. we hit about the 1st of November, and that obviously that depends on how far up you are, um, you know, latitude wise. But once we hit about the 1st of, of November, we drop below 10 hours of sunlight every day. And once we hit that 10 hour mark, everything except for mosh stops growing. Okay. okay. There's just not enough sunlight. So, so it will continue to grow a little bit but just a little, there's no aggressive growth during that time with the, the sunlight being so low. And so that's the key. So we have to get them to maturity before we lose that sunshine. Um, and, right. and then, and then we protect them over the winter. Basically we put them in cold storage using those cold frames. Right. Cool. Well, let's talk about then different methods for cold weather gardening, kicking off with cold frames. We're already here. And I think maybe give an explanation of what a cold frame is and then what are some options for cold frames. Okay, great. So basically a cold frame is a box that we put on top of our garden beds, whether it be a raised bed, an in-ground garden, whatever it is, it's a, it's a box that we put on top. Normally it will have wooden or some type of solid sides with a glass top. Um, it can be plexiglass or it could be glass. And a lot of people use old storm doors and storm windows to make those from. That's an excellent option. The ones I have, when I built them, I didn't have any windows available. And so they're just, I just bought some plexiglass at one of the you know big box stores and, and made the lids out of that plexiglass. But the idea is box that will keep the weather out and insulate and then windows that will allow light and warmth in on a sunny day 
to help those plants to to maintain themselves through the you know through the winter so right. and the, the cold frames can be built out of all kinds of different materials you can actually buy them online those usually will be out of polycarbonate and they'll have polycarbonate sides as well i haven't ever used one of those and i'm not convinced that they're quite as good as a wooden sided one because the, I, I don't think that the polycarbonate is going to offer you quite as much insulating value and protection um, so I like mine. Mine are all made out of um, two by wood. So so two by eight in the front, two by um, 12 in the back. Yeah. And so they've got a little bit of slope to them. And that thicker wood gives a, a nice insulating value to it. And then depending, you know, again, on what your, your winters are like, you can add some insulation to that if you wanted. You could put some of that foam insulation in. Um, you could put straw bales or hay, hay bales around it. I've also seen people that have just made cold frames out of straw bales, mm -hmm. so, you know, put four straw bales together, some type of window on top. And that's a good yep. use for, you know, old, you know, old storm doors and windows. And you just put those on top and, and that will work really well too. But the whole idea is to keep the weather out and the sunlight in. Yeah. Okay. Cool. No, I like that. I like the straw bales and just, you know, you can get really scrappy with this, you know, you can certainly make them look really cool and really good, but you can also get really scrappy and stack up materials. Yep. Yeah, make yep. it happen. As long as it keeps that wind out and lets the sun in, you're good. Yeah. Cool. Um, what are some other methods besides the cold frame itself here for cold weather gardening? So one of the easiest things that you can do to extend your growing season, and this obviously isn't going to Unless you live, you know, people that live in like a zone seven or a zone eight can, can get away with a lot of just the heavy fabric row covers. So those are sometimes you'll, they'll be called Agravon. Um, mm -hmm. Just the good, thick, heavy frost covers will extend your growing season an amazingly long amount of time. You know, you could add six weeks to the end of, of your season and the beginning of your season just by using those row covers, depending on where you live, you know, especially in those warmer zones protect things at night. So that's a really simple way to do it. Then we have mini hoop houses, which um, are really, really good, especially for those of us that live in zones six, seven, and eight. Um, they, uh, you know, seven and eight, a lot of people that live in zone seven and eight will be able to extend through the winter just using hoop houses. Um, and those will be, you know, in, in Size will vary, but usually you're going to just put some hoops over the top of your garden bed and then cover that with a plastic and uh, tack it down good so that it doesn't blow around in the wind. And that will provide you with a lot of protection. And then, of course, when it gets really cold, you can always throw that heavy fabric row cover in as well for an extra layer of protection. And you can do that in the cold frames also. So when you say mini hoop house, like range of size, because you're not talking high tunnel. No, so high tunnels is next on my list. Mini hoop houses are usually going to be no more than about four feet tall um, mm -hmm. off the top of your bed. Mine are about three feet tall, but I, I have them hinged so they open up away from the bed so that you can get in and, and work and everything like that. Um, the nice thing about the hoop houses is, is you can grow some of the taller crops longer. So yeah. things like kale and, and Swiss chard and things like that, that get a little bit taller. And then in the spring or in the fall, it's a great option for you to extend your brassica season as well. So you can grow your cabbages and your broccolis and your Brussels sprouts inside those hoop houses also. Nice. So that's a really good option. Then, then you've got the high hoops, which I'm not... So, so don't take this the wrong way because I live on a city lot. I'm an advocate for small and simple and inexpensive. Um, but a high hoop is a great option. So, so if you have the space to, to grow a, in a high hoop, those are going to be the same scenario. Only they're going to be, you're going to be able to walk inside them, you know? Yeah. So those will usually be made out of like electrical conduit. You bend that mm -hmm. into the hoop shape. And then you're going to cover that with a, with a, usually in that case, you're going to use like a, a greenhouse quality plastic over the top. You're going to have to set up some venting systems, some door access and, you know, things like that. Those, those can be a lot of fun. And, and, and again, those can vary from 10 feet long to 800 long. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've got a friend who lives just a little bit South of us that has one that, that he grows in. Um, and he's got a couple of acres and so he's got the space for it. And it's a, you know, 60 by 25 foot um, hoop house that he's put together. That's, that's really, really nice. 
And then of course you can grow in greenhouses. And so everything we've talked about, you can do in the high hoops and the greenhouses. I don't normally push them just because I'm an advocate of cheap and, and simple um, yeah. where, you know, greenhouses and high hoops end up costing thousands of dollars where cold frames and, and mini hoop houses are in the hundreds, you know? Yeah. So, and it, I mean, it's going to tell me a little bit both on, you know, how much land you have, but also your needs, your family needs, you may not need to push that hard and grow that far all through your climate. But we're like us where we'd love to get to the point of having a high tunnel. You know, we we're regularly feeding 12 to 16 people at the dinner table and would love to extend our season better. We do a decent job at it, but that high tunnel would, would help us with that a bit. Yeah. Um, what do you think if you're going to that scale, and this is just a little off, I know where you usually go, but it, it's helpful for people thinking of it, the high tunnel and then being able even inside the high tunnel to do mini hoop houses or, you know, row covers to get those, those that double or even triple layer yeah. in, in these colder environments like we're in. So one of the, one of the people that's kind of the father of season extension, his name is Elliot Coleman. Mm -hmm. right. um, he does a lot of that. And at first he, the, the work that he did was high hoops with cold frames. And then he found that in his, he's, he's about a five, I think he's about a five, a five B. Um, he found that with the high hoop, all he needed was heavy fabric row cover inside. And for each of those layers, you gain about a zone. So if you live in zone five and you put a high hoop with heavy fabric row cover, all of a sudden you're gardening in zone seven, uh, yeah. you know, inside that, that environment. And so I, I think that's a fantastic idea if you have the space and, you know, I would love to have that much space. We're actually looking at a slightly, you know, our family's all around here in the city. So we're stuck kind of in the city, but, um, we are looking for a little bit bigger lot so that we could do, you know, a little bit bigger scenario there. Very cool. Um, okay. So moving on and we started to talk about this, um, a, a few minutes ago, how important is timing and crop selection to season extension? So massively important. That's the most important in the first step. Um, like I say, there's about 30 crops total that can be extended further than we think. They're all cool season crops. Um, Obviously, the warm season crops, your squashes, your, your beans, your tomatoes and peppers, once it gets to freezing, they're done, okay? But all of these cool season crops have varying degrees of hardiness that we can, you know, use and gauge. So kale, super, super hardy. Spinach, super, super hardy. Broccoli, frost hardy, but not really hard you know when when it gets down in the 20s at night even the mid 20s at night all of a sudden broccoli's in trouble okay yeah. but um kale is is not going to blink at 10 you know it's not not going to have an issue with that at all and so you, you choose the right crops and then getting them planted so that they're harvestable um at the right time is is super important so if you know if you want a fall crop of broccoli you're going to get those in you know, you're probably going to want to put starts in the ground about six weeks before your last frost date. And then you're going to protect those with a hoop house. That's going to extend your, your harvest season probably into November. Um, and then, you know, once those are done, you're going to move on to your spinach and your carrots and your kale and your lettuce and, and all of those different, those different crops. But most of what we're talking about, in fact, all of what we're talking about is cool season crops. So it's brassica family, leafy greens, and the root crops. So carrots, turnips, beets, radishes, parsnips. Um, those, those are the crops you're going to choose. And then generally timing, with the exception of the brassica family, the, the timing is you're going to plant seeds about six to eight weeks before your last frost date is kind of what you're targeting. And that, that should usually give you the time that you need to get those grown to maturity. Then you protect them. You put that when the cold weather starts arriving. You cover them up with the cold frame of the hoop house and away you go. All right. I like it. So what about utilizing microclimates to extend your growing season? So that's actually a lot of fun. Um, and, and you have to get to know your yard or your, your, your land a little bit. You're, you're always going to have areas in your property that are warmer. Uh, you know, for us, it's, 
up against the house mm-hmm. or, you know, right up against the, the you know, the wall or, or, or at our last place, we had a big fence. And so, you know, obviously all of these, we're talking about South side of, right. of those things. Um, in, in, you know, in other cases, you may have an area where you have a hill that protects from the wind and uh, keeps things a lot warmer. You may have, you know, up against a barn or some type of outbuilding or something like that, where you can, you'll find that it's significantly warmer in those areas. And that that's going to help you to extend that growing season. And especially when you get into the colder zones, those are the things you really want to start looking for is you want to find those places where the snow melts first. And, uh, you know, those are the areas that are, (coughs) excuse me, that are really going to do well for you microclimate wise. Yeah. And that's a huge one. And knowing your property, if you're new to a piece of property, you got to give a little bit of time, but observe, you know, in the spring, I mean, all through the year, but in this case, observe in the spring and where things are warming up and fine, even go out and, and walk around in a, you know, if you don't have snow on the ground, walk around on a, on a cold day when the sun comes out in the spring and you can go find right your, your areas like, like you're talking about Rick yep. that, uh, I mean, man, just even five, five degree gain can be huge. Oh yeah. That's, that's starting a, to get that's a lot more. Yeah, yeah. That's that, that can be a big difference. And especially when you throw a cold frame on top of that, you know, yeah. it's a, it's a huge deal. Yeah. And you know, this isn't really in the notes, but you can also create a microclimate if you don't, if you don't have one and you're looking mm-hmm. for one, you could put up a, a fence or a boarded wall or some panels or something South facing. Yeah. Even if you don't have one where you need it, you could create something like that. Exactly. Especially if you do something that's brick or rock, yeah. uh, you know, because that during oh, the daytime, man. that's going to retain heat at night. It's going to put it off. And, and so those are, you know, those are really good options. Um, yeah, people sometimes take, you know, if you get into a uh, a hoop house or, you know, high tunnel, people get into sometimes not just that mass, but barrels of water, mm-hmm. you know, and, and but essentially creating that mass, right? Yeah, that, yeah. That collect that heat and then let it off uh, yeah. through the night. Yeah. Now, remember, with season extension, one of the most important things is that sunlight. So yeah. don't just be just because you've got an area that that's nice and warm in the late afternoon, that might not be the best because it, it may be getting that late Western sun, but it might only be getting three or four hours of that late Western sun during the wintertime. And that may not be enough for you. Yeah. You know, so so make sure that you've got a good even exposure and you get sunlight, hopefully all day long, you know, when we're talking about season extension during the summer, you can cheat a little bit more, but, but, you know, during the winter we have, you know, some places have nine or less hours of sunlight. We got to have all of that sun hitting that cold frame. So uh, that, that was the question that came up is like, put in, can you, can you put an hour, you know, like generally regular season, most crops need six to eight hours, you know, a lot of them uh, direct sunlight, but this time of year, you're looking more for nine, 10, direct as, sunlight as much as you can you know yeah. as as much as you can because the sunlight is so much less intense and and even though even though an area might have 8 hours of sunlight in the summertime direct sun it has light all day long in the summertime you know i mean right. it'll have light 12 to 14 hours a day in the summer in the winter time the max it's going to have is like 9 hours you know, yeah. so we got to have as much exposure as we possibly can. So no, you know, you know no trees, no shade, no shadows, uh, you know, in, when we're talking about beds that we're going to be growing in the wintertime. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Let's talk about extending the growing season without additional structures, just, you know, for people. And this is what we've done over the years as we've gone through our journeys, just trying to figure out how to do it. Cause a lot of times we haven't had the money for structures and still aren't ready to do some of the advanced things or even create enough cold frames for the amount of food that we need. That's actually a pretty sizable project. So we're starting little ones, but what are things that people can do to, to help extend the season, um, you know, without additional structures? Well, without structures, the first thing would be go and buy yourself some, some fabric grow covers um, that, you know, if, if, so for example, right now, first of March is when we're filming this video. As soon as the snow melts, we've got about six inches of snow on our garden right now. But as soon as that snow melts, 
and the garden dries off a little bit, I'm going to go out and plant. Okay. So I'll plant some carrots. I'll plant some spinach and some lettuce and, and some kale and some Swiss chard, things like that. Those are going to go in and then I'll throw a heavy fabric row cover over them and just let them go. Okay. Those are all low light requirement plants and I'm just going to let them grow and they're going to grow underneath that fabric row cover and I'll get a harvest weeks before anybody else in our area because yeah. of that protection. Um, you know, so those will really extend and they'll do the exact same thing on the other end of the season. So if you yeah. get the timing right and you get that planted, then cover, you know, with those fabric row covers, you're you're going to be looking at, you know, an extra six weeks of harvest just without structures, you know, without anything else. So you could yeah. add three months to your growing season, six weeks on either end with some simple fabric row covers. Yeah, that's super simple and, uh, and attainable right there. Yep. Very cool. Um, some other strategies. What about mulch? So mulches will help. Um, they'll, they'll, they'll help retain. The problem is, is that, that mulches can sometimes be do the opposite for you. Mm -hmm. So um, they'll, if the ground's warm, when you put the mulch on, it'll retain the heat. But once that heat is gone, then the mulch is going to prevent the sunshine from warming the soil up as quickly. So you have to be careful with mulches. There's a lot of different, <coughs> excuse me, a lot of different clotches out there that you can use. You know, you could, you could do, you could go just as simple as a, a melt carton, you know, cut the bottom off a melt carton and, and cover up areas. Uh, I have done some gardening under uh, clear totes. So, you, you know, you get those big, those big totes, and mm -hmm. turn that upside down and you just, they obviously have to be clear. Um, and you just put that down in your garden and you can grow under those. Uh, there's a product called uh, wall of waters and, and uh, there's a whole bunch of knockoff. The original was called wall of waters and, and they're a little bit hard to get, but there's a whole bunch of knockoff varieties that, you know, that are essentially they're a, a water filled clutch and they have these little cells in them and you fill those cells up with water. And those are great for extending both your, your growing season for greens and cool season crops, but you can also use those to protect even things like tomatoes and get an extra early harvest of your tomatoes. I plant tomatoes in those um, about four to six weeks early every year before I plant before my first frost inside wow. those, those clutches. And then I'll have tomatoes, you know, in early July. And I don't do that for all of my tomatoes, but I'll usually put about four plants in under those clutches. So that's another great way to extend your season without having to have big structures is, nice. you know, any type of clutch or cover. Yeah. Very cool. What about, uh, and we covered this, but maybe if you can go through the list again, just those hardy crop choices, just in case people missed it. Um, you know, what are these earliest ones that you're talking about when the snow melts, you can get out there and, and, and kind of run with them. Okay. So basically any green, so collards, kale, Swiss chard, lettuce, spinach, mosh or corn salad. Um, there's one called Claytonia. Um, and then, you know, then all of the, like the Chinese greens. So pop choy and bok choy. Mm -hmm. Even Napa cabbages, all of those are going to do really well, really early in the season. The hardiest of those were, will be spinach, kale, mosh, Swiss chard, then lettuce and the Asian greens kind of come in after that. Um, so all of those are going to do really well. Then you've got the root crops like um, <clears throat> carrots, parsnips, turnips, beets, and radishes. All of those are going to stand up well to the mm -hmm. cold temperatures. And then you'll have uh, the brassica family, basically. So here we're talking broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, um, kohlrabi, all of those are gonna do really well. Uh, collards and kale are also in that family, but they're even hardier. And so you can get those in um, earlier than you would the others. So all of those are, are, that's a good starter list for you. You've got things like rutabagas that do pretty well, but their timing is really kind of funky. They're more of a fall crop um, and uh, turnips are, are great, especially in the fall. Uh, they'll, they'll be pretty hardy as well. So lots of fun stuff that you can grow. And then there's dandelion and minzua and 
you know, a bunch of kind of random ones that we don't care as much about. Yeah. Do you ever grow any perennials, leafy greens, like, um, oh gosh, now they're all going to evaporate out of my mind, but uh, Good King Henry and Sorrel, do you, do you play around with those at all for? So, like, Good King Henry, I'm not familiar with. Sorrel, we have done before. Um, and, and our chickens loved the sorrel. Um, we liked it. The problem is, is you're never going to grow. You're never going to eat a sorrel salad, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's kind of really strong and stuff like that. And so that would be something that you would do on a fairly limited basis. There are a few other herbs. Um, parsley does really well and mm-hmm. winters, winters really well. Um, uh, cilantro. Although it doesn't overwinter, it's one that you can get planted really early also. Uh, and, and especially if you give it some protection, uh, it will do really well in the spring and you'll, it, it won't bolt as quickly if you, if you can do that. So, yeah. Cool. yeah. What, um, what are some crops that people can grow indoors over the winter, you know, if their garden is in snow? So this is fun. And I'm going to take another drink here. I apologize. Yeah. I've been finding a cold for a week. Um, we have been doing a lot of experimenting the last few years with that. And especially we kind of upped our game this year just because we, we, we're, we're mostly plant-based. And so we eat a lot of salads and a lot of greens and, and, uh, um, lettuce prices have been out of control. And so we wanted to really experiment with lettuce indoors. And, uh, we've had a lot of success this winter, um, just with the south facing window. Now we did, admittedly, we did start with, with starts. So I, I fired up my, my seed starter in November instead of in January, like I normally do. And we started planting lettuce under the, the lights. And then we moved them into a south facing window in our kitchen. We've got a, a kind of a corner window that has an east and south exposure to it. And we've had greens growing different types of lettuce, um, we tried some spinach as well, and it did well, all growing just in that sunny corner window all, you know, all winter long. So um, my wife said, as long as it looks nice, it's fine. And so we got some nice, some of the nicer smart pot, the the kind of colored fabric smart pots and some clay pots and, and just have that window loaded with, with lettuces. So if you've got a good south facing exposure, you can do that. If you really want to get aggressive about it, you can buy some grow lights and you can grow things indoors. The problem I have with that is I, I feel like the input is probably not worth the output um, in those situations. You're, you're, you're putting so much energy and power to, into those, green, those grow lights mm-hmm. just to get lettuce. You know, do you, and, and, do you think I, it would be cost effective, like talking about lettuce prices going up if you were growing. And I'm asking because I'm actually thinking about doing this this fall and winter is actually just because we have our seed starting racks and then they sit empty all winter. And I'm like, you know what? What about taking some of the flats and growing microgreens in them under the lights? Okay. Just four to six inches tall, bed of soil. It's a couple inches deep just to get some easy, fresh greens right there off the kitchen. Is that, um, I mean, is that viable like cost wise what you're talking about the energy? Okay. So, so microgreens, different scenario. Okay. okay. So, so let's go back to really quickly. I, I, and I've never done an analysis and, and, and I guess I should, cause I'm a, a geek at this, but just those, the, the really powerful grow lights put off so much power and so much energy, but I don't know that it's cost effective. When we start moving into microgreens, those don't need the grow lights. Those can just grow under shop lights. Yeah. Um, and, and then we're not putting out nearly as much energy. You know, an LED shop light doesn't cost very much to run. And you only right. need to run it for about 12 hours a day. And so when we start talking about microgreens, that's a different scenario because they're quick to grow. Um, they're very dense. They're very nutrient dense. So there's a super big bang for the buck, you know. And, mm with that. And so microgreens are a great way to do that. Um, we've had a lot of fun this winter experimenting. We've grown microgreens for quite a while, about 10 years on and off. But this year we got really serious about it. And we started expanding into things like um, sunflower and buckwheat and beets. Um, we've got some cilantro that I've yet to try because cilantro tastes like soap to me, but my wife wants me to grow some. <laughs> um, 
on top of, you know, we grow broccoli and radish and things like that. And, and so there's a lot. And when you, when you start looking at like the buckwheat and the sunflower, those are pretty bulky greens. Yeah. There, there's a lot to them. And so those, you know, those can really, and the other thing is if you want to, you know, start your own business, depending on where you live, cause you've got to live somewhere where it's trendy, but there's a lot of people that grow microgreens and make a pretty good living growing microgreens as well. So if you wanted to grow and sell microgreens, that's, you know, another scenario that you could do if you can find the market for it, you know, as well. But if you're just talking about providing your own food, you know, start a tray of microgreens every three days, you know, depending on your family size for us, yeah. we start about once a week because it's just the two of us now. Yeah. And, uh, but you know, if you're, you know, big family like you, you could start, you know, about every three days, start a tray of microgreens and you'll just constantly have, yep. you know, stuff to harvest. And then the other thing that you can do indoors is sprouts. Yeah. So, um, and, and there's a lot of benefit to sprouts. The nice thing about sprouts is there's the only input is a little water and the seeds. Um, yeah. So, so you don't have to have light. You don't have to, you know, have any of that. You're, you're just, you know, putting some seeds in a jar and rinsing them off twice a day and they, they grow in about, you know, five to seven days. You, you've got a harvest of, of those as well. So those are good options too. That makes a nice salad right there. Some microgreens and some sprouts. Yeah. yeah. With some lettuce from your window and your, yeah. Yeah. The window, or like you said, the shop lights. And so, yeah, that, that's definitely, we're going to, convert our seed starting racks that sit dormant all winter to some strategy this, this next year right now they're, they're filling up. And that was one more I wanted to ask you um, for some of these strategies. What about starting early enough indoors in the flats under lights to then transplant some of these crops out at that early, early snow melt and, yes. and extend that season even more so that instead of seeding, like you're talking about how you can seed some of these things as soon as the snow melts, yeah, and you know, some of them are going to transplant better than others. And I realize that address that if you want, but some of those, can you go ahead and start them indoors four weeks, even further ahead? Yes, exactly. So, so right now I have, um, about the 15th of January, we started uh, kale and, um, a Chinese green called, um, totsoy. Um, we also mm. started a bunch of lettuce. Some of that lettuce is going into the window. Others of it is, is, is going to be going out into the cold frame soon. So those are all, all of those plants are about six weeks old now. And so they will be, I'm, I'm waiting for this weather to break because we're still, you know, as soon as we start seeing fifties again on occasion and, you know, it's starting to jump up, then, then I, I'm going to start hardening those off and those will go out in either a cold frame or a hoop house um, really soon. And so you can definitely do that, especially with the greens. You know, all of your, your kale, your Swiss chard, your spinach, your lettuces, all of those, you can get started th those indoors. As long as you're careful to harden them, <laughs> you've got to get them because they're, they're growing indoors and loving the fact that it's nice and warm. And all of a sudden you take them outside and it's, you know, 20 degrees at night, that's going to be a problem for them. So you do have to spend some extra time making sure that you get them acclimated to that, that colder weather before you transfer. Right. Yeah. 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 That'd be a little shock factor there. Yeah, for sure. So. Okay. Um, let's see here. Tips for transforming a garden from summer to fall. So a lot of the stuff we've been talking about, you can do right now. People right here in March can, can get started and go for it. Super simple. Um, but kind of thinking forward to exiting kind of main crop season, um, what are some tips for transitioning there and, you know, challenges people face uh, to help them start thinking about, you know, extending the season on the other end. So one of the biggest challenges in the fall is space. Yeah. Because my, my prime planting date for most of my fall crops is August 1st. Well, you know, my garden is full of stuff, oh, yep. you know, in August and, and our, our first frost isn't until about October 1st. And so, you know, I've got my tomatoes and my peppers and, you know, all of that kind of stuff still growing. I do intentionally, um, I, I plant some potatoes extra early so that I'm able to have those harvested about the 1st of August so that I've got some place to get some spinach and some carrots and things like that planted. But the biggest challenge there is space. And that's where your seed starter comes in. So my, my seed starter, I usually turn the lights on about February, I'm sorry, about January 15th. And I end up turning them off about October 15th. Um, okay. 
and that's not including microgreens. So um, <laughs> you're you you're going to use so so if I say you know eight weeks before your first frost you want to plant lettuce, but you don't have anywhere to plant lettuce in August, and besides that it's hot in August. Use your seed starter. Same date, August first, you're going to plant. Um, and then you'll transplant those out in mid-September, maybe even as late as the 1st of October, you'll transplant those out into the garden under the protection of your cold frames and hoop houses. Then by, by the, you know, the 1st of October, you've ended, you know, your, your summer garden's kind of ended. Your cucumbers are gone. Your tomatoes are gone. You've got space again. Yeah. And so using that seed starting setup is a great way to take advantage of that fall you know, time frame because you can get things started indoors. They're probably going to like it better anyways, because it's not going to be a hundred degrees. Right. And then you'll get those transplanted out as it starts to cool off and, and progress into the fall. I, I'm, I'm trying to name now, cause we have this spot in our, it's in a hallway now for us. It wasn't a kitchen for a while where we've got these two racks and I don't know, they've got eight now, 10 shelves on them. And it's pretty much going to become a year round garden itself. Yeah. You know, thinking, just doing some of the things you're talking about here and, and, and it's almost like its own other garden now. And sometimes it's feeding a garden or sometimes it's just feeding you directly, but yeah, exactly. My, know. my seed starting set up this year, because I was doing this experiment in the windows, I turned my lights back on December 1st. So yeah. they were off for, they were off for about a month is all <laughs> turned my lights back on December 1st and started, started growing. So that indoor setup can really be an important part of the whole season extension well and i and I, I really like that because you're taking a space that you've probably got dedicated anyways now and you're using it to provide more food for yourself and so a lot of people whether it's cost of food or, or just want a nutrient dense food you've now got another area that you can put to work indoors we don't tend to think of it that way so there's a little bit of a paradigm shift but how useful that space becomes more than just starting seeds once a year yeah essentially yeah. And especially if you, you know, if you, if you look at a lot of the microgreens and the sprouts, they're so nutrient dense, you get so much bang for the buck where you don't have the, the normal fresh vegetables. Obviously, you know, we're, we're all canners and things like that. So we've got our canned vegetables and our stored potatoes and things like that, but yeah. we're missing some of those nutrients. And if you, you know, if you u- utilize that seed starter setup for microgreens and sprouts, you're, you're adding back those nutrients into your diet. Yeah. Especially in winter climates like ours. I don't know how it is there in Salt Lake city, but we get, we don't get a lot of sun. Yeah. And I really feel that right about late February, early March. I'm just like, Oh man. uh, So yeah. So that, that can, that can add, add a little bit. Um, Let's see here. How about just as we start to wrap up any other, like, are we, are we missing anything? Any other must share tips here? Um, that can help people out for growing these shoulder months and, and into winter. I, I think we've covered everything pretty well. The, the, the thing that you've got to get out of your head and it, it frustrates me. I, I literally just yesterday, we sent out an email saying, you know, the, here's what you can be planting in March. And I always get responses back with people posting, you know, they send me a picture of their garden. Ha ha ha. I'm not going to be doing any planting in March. Well, my <laughs> garden looks like that too. And guess what? I'm going to be planting, you know? Yeah. So, so you have to get over the mindset that, you know, that it's impossible in your, your area, you know? Yeah. Now, if you live in zone three, it's going to be really hard. But if you live in zone, you know, most of us live in zones four, five, six, seven. There is so much that you can do uh, in season extension. And even if you don't want to go through the winter time, Using, you know, a hoop house and those fabric row covers to, to stretch out that season, to add that extra three months. I mean, literally six weeks in the spring and six weeks in the fall, that's three months. That's some people's summer garden, yeah. you know, that you can add to your, your growing season. So don't, don't think just because I live somewhere cold, I can't do this because you can, you know, I, I have students all over the country and up into Canada that are, are very successfully growing, you know, gardens right now, uh, you know, in, in very cold environments. And, and so you have to get out of that mindset of, oh, we can only grow a winter garden. Or, I mean, we can only grow a summer garden in, in our area. You've got to get out of that mindset and start experimenting. You know, and it, it, if nothing else, what are you going to lose? 
you know, if, 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 if you buy a fabric row cover, you're going to use that for a whole bunch of things anyway. So you buy a fabric row cover and you get those seeds planted and it doesn't work. You're out 50 cents, you know, and cause you're going to use the fabric row cover in other places. So start experimenting and start, you know, getting after it and figuring it out because there is so much you can do. I don't care where you live. I mean, you, you'll be able to extend that growing season a lot. Nice, nice words of encouragement. So Rick, I mean, Rick is just a wealth of knowledge. And so Rick, I want to take a few minutes here as we're wrapping up and just let people know what are the resources you have to offer people? Where can they find you? What do you have going on for people that want to dive in deeper here? Okay, so um, our main website, which is kind of what we started with, it's ourstonyacres.com. So A-U-R-S-T-O-N-E-Y acres.com. Uh, that's our main site. We've got hundreds and hundreds of different vegetable gardening um, articles on there. A lot about season extension there as well. Um, I'm on Facebook uh, at Our Stony Acres, uh, Instagram as well. And then we do have a YouTube channel uh, and that is Our Stony Acres. Um, you can just, just search that and it'll come up and, and we've got hundreds and hundreds of videos for you there as well. Um, and then we also have our education website, which is called the Online Gardening School. Um, and it's at at onlinegardeningschool.com. And uh, that's where we have our, you know, for sale uh, courses and things like that. So one thing that I did want to talk about with this season extension, I, and this will sound funny, but we, we teach, I, I have a, a master course, a year round gardening master course, and we teach it in July. And I know we just spent all this time talking about winter gardening, but we teach that class in July because I want you to know what you need to know and get ready for the fall planting season, which is for most of us, you're going to be planting sometime in August for that fall planting, fall and winter planting. And so that master course, we have a, a little mini course that kind of gives you a taste of it um, that will include a link um, that you can go. And it's a free mini course. that's about 45 minutes long, goes through a lot more about these different crops and things. And that's a, a good place for you to kind of get a start um, on, on that as well. Cool. Well, we will we will link to all of that for you guys down below and just want to strongly encourage you to go check Rick out. He has been a huge influence on Carolyn and I in our gardens and some of the strategies and even even some of the things that I'm saying we're going to do are, are coming from Rick outside this conversation. So um, he can really help you guys uh, uh, learn a lot and boost your production and your gardening efforts. So really encourage you to go check out those resources. And Rick, it's been really exciting to hang out with you, and I'm looking forward to meeting you in May uh, as uh, we, you know, look at uh, some future endeavors and maybe a class together. So really excited about that. And um, you guys all have a great day and a great week, and uh, I will see you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pantry Chat, Food for Thought. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review. To view the show notes and any other resources mentioned on this episode, you can learn more at homesteadingfamily.com slash podcast. We'll see you soon. Goodbye.